If you would, please turn in your Bibles, your holy word of God, to the 14th chapter of Corinthians. We will be looking at verses 34 through the end of the chapter today. I've shared with you that Paul writes consistently theology and then practical. The exhortation in light of this theology to be this way. I'm going to have a word of prayer and I want to share with you a letter um, that I believe that you will see why this letter fits what we're getting ready to look at. Father, we come before you to your word. Father, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, you who spoke existence into being. You who took on the veil of humanity to redeem us, to save us from our sin, to pay a penalty that was due us. And Father, I ask that as we look at your word, we hear you, not men, not Paul, not me, but you. And Father, we hear your word and we cherish your word to your glory and praise. Amen. I received this letter and uh, I would like to share with you this letter because I think that once I read it and once we get through this text, you'll see why uh, it is important. Okay. The letter, all of us are concerned to some degree with our physical health. Even if you are simply following a diet or getting regular exercise, you're probably doing something to ensure long-term fitness and vitality. And when you don't care about your health the way that you should, you probably can tell. You can feel it. You can see it. And you know things aren't right. The same is true with your spiritual health. When things aren't right, you know it. The symptoms of spiritual deterioration are many and familiar to most believers. Serving Christ becomes almost mechanical and less meaningful. The thrill of being a chosen child of the living God is only a faint memory. The sense of day-by-day Hour by hour, dependence on God fades to a vague awareness of His presence. Time spent in the Bible study and prayer grows dutiful and predictable. Passion gives way to indifference. The purpose and simplicity of the Christian life gives way to confusion and clutter. In short, before you realize it, the honeymoon is over and the flame has cooled and you've lost your first love for Christ. Yet nothing could be more important than cultivating and sustaining our spiritual affections. Loving Christ is the heart and soul of the Christian life. He rightly wants and deserves our affections 
While every Christian loves God, the intensity of that love can and does wane if we are not vigilant. Just as undernourished love in a marriage can grow heartless and cold and lead to disaster, so can a believer's love for God weaken, even atrophy, if it is not actively fed and cultivated. What makes losing our first love for Christ especially dangerous is, is its subtlety. Like old age or poor eyesight, the loss of spiritual fervor comes not with a shout, but with a whisper. To make matters worse, when Christians notice their love or zeal for Christ diminishing, they seldom consider it as a serious sin. Instead, they tend to dismiss it as a fact of Christian living or worse, chalk it up to the maturing process and welcome its arrival. People in that condition may even find being around new Christians a bit unsettling. They think the young believer's zeal is unsophisticated and embarrassing. Does any of that sound uncomfortably familiar? If so... Play acting or going through the motions is not the answer. We can't fool God. He knows the intensity of our love and he longs for nothing less than for us to serve him with sincerity, vigor, confidence, and joy. I know that's my desire as a believer and I'm sure that your deepest longing is your deepest longing as well. So if you sense that somewhere along the way in your Christian life, you've lost your first love. Let me offer some encouragement. It is possible to rekindle your passion and love for the Lord. Your heart need not grow cold. But as with any relationship, it takes work to maintain the intensity and the intimacy with Christ you want and need. Guarding yourself from spiritual indifference means fighting the battle on many fronts. And none is more pivotal than your own personal study of Scripture. God's Word is what first ignited our love. It penetrated our stony heart and awakened us to God. It's what showed our wretched condition and it shined light into our sin-darkened heart and offered the hope of salvation. God's Word becomes the anchor to our life, our hiding place, our counselor, our teacher, our shield, our lantern, our reference point, our measuring stick. No one has ever been saved apart from it, and no one has ever grown to spiritual maturity apart from the Holy Spirit working through it. That's where our responsibility as a believer begins. The Bible is alive, powerful, and ready to transform us. 
Our part is to keep studying it deeply, to mature in our faith in God. We meet we need to mature in our study and understanding of his word. The two go hand in hand. Let me ask you a blunt question. How have you done in that area? Do you know, understand, love, and depend on God's word more deeply today than you did this time last year. Now I give you that because of what we are about to look at. All right. Now I'm going to read this. Okay. <laughs> Women are to keep silent in church. <laughs> I didn't write it. For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to subject, subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husband at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in the church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual... Let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not to be recognized. Therefore, my brethren, earnestly desire, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. All things must be done properly and in orderly manner. We were looking at this last week, and I want to show you some things here that I think that we get kind of out of kelter. Um, I did, we ended last Sunday's message with for verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. There should be a period there. All right. And I'll show you why, because people, people say, well, you're just, no, you got to fly the flow of the text. Because he says, as is all the church of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches. Well, no, that was a Corinthian thing. Then why does he say it was written in the law? It's not a Corinthian thing. Why? The thing that I see that is troubling to me today, the single greatest thing that hurts me today is when I watch the church has completely missed the fact that the church collectively is to manifest Jesus Christ. They all come together for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, so that the people will see Christ manifested in the unity of the brothers and the sisters who have been called out of sin and set aside for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is missing in the church in America today. It is a non-existent entity because 99% of the people in the churches in America today are there for what they can get. Listen, it's already been given. It's already been given. The design of the church is God's design. The display of the church is to display 
God. God wants in the fellowship of his church that it makes manifest him. Him. It drives me crazy when I see that, well, we have to have an African church. We have to have a white church. We have to have a poor church. We have to have an illiterate church. We have to have a literate church. We have a sophisticated church. What? No. The church is all of those. The church is all of those. All the churches of the saints. What's he talking about? In context, he's talking about the gifts. All right. Beginning in chapter 11 through 14, he's saying when you come together for corporate worship, this is the instruction, this is the purpose, and this is the intent. All right. Because I watch people, they immediately stop in verse 33 that God is a God, is not a God of confusion, but of peace. The word peace there is harmony, tranquility. All right. As in all the churches of the saints. And then he throws in this thing. This is that pharisaical side of Paul. Uh, that, you know, that he, he was this man who was a woman hater. Okay. And it was a cultural thing. It was the Corinthians. The Corinthians were crazy people. We all know that. And so he just throws this thing in here. And he says, women are to keep silent in the churches. For they are, well, what does that mean? They are not permitted to speak. That's what it says. Why? Because God is a God of peace, harmony, tranquility. It all comes together. Remember what we looked at in verse 26? One is as a psalm. One has a teaching. One has a revelation. One has a language. One has an interpretation. He says that's chaos. And it's obvious that in the context it's possible for a woman to have the gift of prophecy the gift of tongues the gift of interpretations but you are to keep silent why well Paul's just mad at women you know most people most people believe well you know we read the thing the thorn in his flesh we all know what that was Okay, yeah, it was a messenger from Satan. See, told you. Okay, no. Okay, you know, my husband, he's my cross to bear. All right, the instrument of your execution is your husband. <laughs> well, maybe it is. <laughs> that, that could be a whole different problem. <laughs> Listen, God at times, let's be realistic, God at times needs to reemphasize his will, doesn't he? I mean, we're looking at Exodus, and there, Moses and Joshua and some of them are up on the mountain getting the law of God, and the Jews decide they're going to make a golden calf and have a party. I'm thinking, time to reemphasize. Okay? Because it's obvious you missed that. And there, there was a leading problem in the church in Corinth. You know how I know that? Who are the leaders? They're not named, which tells me there's a problem. Okay? There was this showing off, this desire for preeminence 
And what Paul is showing us today, that it wasn't male sensitive. Everybody wanted to do it. Even the women were wanting to do it. Submission was gone. If you don't believe me, why in chapter 13 does he say, do not seek your own? To not seek your own is to what? Is to submit. There was no selflessness. Look what happens here. As in all the churches of the saints, you connect all the saints to the God of peace. Okay? And you'll see that the Corinthians had a problem. Okay? I can see the problem in verse 26. Everybody was wanting to sing special music at all at once, and somebody was wanting to preach, and somebody was wanting to teach, and somebody was wanting to give a revelation, and somebody was wanting to interpret. And it's, he says, as in which churches? All the churches. Everywhere in the church is the standard. Okay? Women. It's obvious that they had the gift of tongues, languages. They had the gift of interpreting, the gift of singing, prophecy. Um, but the problem is they're playing authority. They're playing authority. Paul singles out women, but I want you to understand something. It's not that men weren't guilty. Men were guilty of all of this. If the men weren't guilty, we don't need the letter. All right? We've got the letter. Who would it have been written to? The men of the church. But he reminds the women that they are to take the place of submission and that place is a place of silence in the public service of the church. Okay? Listen, you got to pay attention to this. The gift of tongues showed up in the early 1900s. Okay? Up until the early 1900s, since the apostolic age, tongues has never been an issue. There's no such thing. Nobody ever heard of it. Okay? And in the early 1900s, tongues make it an appearance. Topeka, Kansas. Anybody know the gender of the person who first spoke in tongues? Woman. Okay? If you go through history and you watch the apostasy of the cultic movements out of mainline evangelicalism, do you know who leads every one of them? Every one of them. Now listen, I'm not talking about like Davidians who are cultic. They don't ever cross evangel. I'm talking about when you see the movement that comes out of the mainline churches, do you know who leads every one of them? That's history. There is a movement right now. I like this. It's funny for me. There's a movement right now in the Catholic Church to put Mary on the backside of the cross as co-redeemer. 
do you know who wrote the paper to encourage this? Mother Teresa. Okay? So when you read this, we all want to, I can't believe that old Paul just mean. Listen, please understand this. He's saying women assume your role. Why? Because the body of Christ is the manifestation of God. And in the manifestation of God, there is peace, harmony, and tranquility when everyone is doing their parts. It's like, as a pastor, you'll have husbands come in and tell me that their wives are not being submitted, and you'll have wives come in telling me that my husband doesn't love me. And I'm sitting there going, the problem is, you know what your husband's supposed to do, and the husband knows what the wife's supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do. You know what? I read Proverbs 31 and everybody says, boy, I got to find me a woman like that. Be a man of God and you'll create the circumstances that she will be. Because she'll never be that if you don't do what you're supposed to do. Here's a key note, guys. The wife is not your maid. She is your helper. She is your helper. God has gifted women. He has given them wondrous ministries. And in those ministries, yes, there are teaching and preaching, prophesying. But it is not to be exercised in mixed assembly of the church when it comes together. That is the context of chapter 11 through 14. Well, I think it's cultural. Really? Yeah, because I think you're really stretching it as in all the churches of the saints that women are to keep silent. Really, what's the end of verse 34 says? What does it say? That doesn't sound cultural to me. Okay? For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to subject themselves just as what? Well, what law is that? Genesis 3.16. Okay? He shall rule over you. You know what that means? Authority. It's really clear. Well, but it says that the woman will have a desire over her husband. That means the woman will love her husband. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Because it's in the same thought. Why? He will have authority over you and you will have desire over your husband. You know what that means? I want to rule over him. I want to rule over him. From the very beginning, man was given the authority over the woman. Well, Terry, you know, it was the Corinthian. You're the one that told us there was a women's lip thing in Corinth. Socrates comes liked Corinth because he had bare-chested women uh, spearing pigs and climbing poles. And he thought that was interesting. I'm not sure what that would do for me, but anyway, okay. Okay, so it was just a Corinthian issue, really. 
First Timothy chapter two, verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Or maybe it was just a Corinthian and a Timothy problem. Okay, no, he explains it. He explains it. Listen, I have seen so many people, and I heard this just Thursday in the men's prayer time, is that we want to slide this out the door on the basis of the culture. The culture has changed, really. The curse that a woman has to desire over her husband has changed. That doesn't seem to have changed to me. Adam was made first. Right? So the divine design was in the beginning. It was in the beginning. And it is very dangerous when I see people who want to ignore this as a cultural thing. All right. Uh, We've already looked at it. Chapter 11, verse 3. Now remember... Chapter 11 is how you're going to worship. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. All right, so what is worship supposed to look like? Christ. Verse 3, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And that the man is what? Head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. Okay. Now listen, I give you Galatians 3 verse 28. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There is no male. There is no female. There is no slave. There is no master in Christ. I'll give you that. Absolutely. But I got news for you people. From Genesis 1-1 to the conclusion, God has designed all of creation to have two pillars that hold it up. One is of authority and the other one is of submission. And that model fits every aspect of creation. There is authority and there is submission, whether it's on a government, whether it's tribal, whether it's civilized, whether it's uncivilized, whether it's male or whether it's female. Okay. Because when I read this, he says, this is the law of God. Okay. He uses a phrase there in verse 35. Middle of the verse there. For it is an improper for a woman to speak in church. Did you get that? Do you know what the word, uh, I think King James translates it um, disgraceful. It's shameful. Okay. Ice cross. Ice cross is the word. And it literally means deforming. It is ugly. It is perversion. It deforms God's intention. A perversion of the beauty into ugliness. When does that happen? I didn't write it. 
Okay, listen, I look at the experiential movement today. You will call it the charismatic. I call it the experiential movement. All it is is Corinth all over again. Okay, I see it today and they repeat the same errors over and over and over and over again. And there are many women, please understand this. There are many women who are excellent teachers. And I think that a woman who is an excellent teacher should be busy teaching, teaching in the right place at the right time. Not in the assembly of the church. We have a lady that we sponsor. I thank God for Nelda Thomas. And that is her desire is to teach women how to handle and rightly divide Holy Scripture. Okay? Godly women are to teach the younger women. Now listen, the term there, that comes out of Titus. The term there is it doesn't speak of chronology. All right? Godly woman can be a young woman who is godly. And younger women can be weak in the faith, young in the faith, immature in the faith. And that age is not basis there. Now listen, we have to listen to God's understanding. We have to listen to God's standard. We have to. There are reasons. God has a plan. Did you know that? He didn't just sort of start it up and think, boy, I hope this thing works. Okay, I have a plan. And not only do I have a plan, I have the details of the plan. Husbands, you are to love and to lead. Wives. You are to submit and respond. Why? That's my plan. And when that plan works, I am manifested. Do you understand that? When we say the two shall be one and we all get that (laughs) grin thing going, ain't got nothing to do with physical. It's got to do with spiritual. I, the two, will be one. I will assume my role. She will assume her role. And we are one. God the Father, God the Son are one. But it says he came here and he learned obedience. And the picture of husband and wife in marriage is a picture of the Godhead. That is the greatest evangelistic tool on the planet. And the reason people ain't getting saved is because they look at most marriages and who's driving the bus. And I I hear, well, I'm the head of the house, but my wife is the neck. And she tells me which direction to go. Okay, and that ain't even close. I have seen this consistently, consistently, consistently. I cannot count the number of times that I have watched the woman behind the scenes manipulating what she believed was right. Which brings me to the ugliness of the church. It is disgraceful. It is shameful. It is improper. It is deformed.
But I want to take you to the first part of that verse there. If they desire to learn anything, what does it say? What does it say? They need to what? Ask their own husbands. See, here's the problem, guys. You ain't got no biblical answers. So what are they supposed to do? I had a guy one time sit in an elders meeting tell me, had it not been for the women, the church would have folded up years ago. And I just looked at him and said, if it wasn't for the women, the church wouldn't be in the mess it is. And at that time, this church was in a mess. And of course, they always say I beat around the bush when it comes to explaining what I see. (laughs) That's that very statement. Here's the problem. I feel for you women. Too many women today go ask their husband a spiritual question and he gets some kind of platitude. Oh, no. Well, read the Bible. Let's pray about it. Let's son or no turn Benny Hinn on. He'll tell us. I mean, what are we going to do? Oh, wait a minute, preacher. What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Then ask your father. Whoa, wait, whoa, whoa. What if my father's an unbeliever? Then ask your brother. Well, what if my brother's an unbeliever? You're telling me you don't know no believers. Ask a believer. You do not do it in a time of worship. I watched this in a Russian church. First time I was preached in a Russian church, I preached in the First Baptist of Moscow, and it's got a big balcony thing. Actually, the thing goes all the way around you. It's kind of unnerving, actually. But anyway, um, what it is. What are you doing back there? But I started watching as I was preaching. It just started off as a couple of pieces of paper falling off the balcony down to the ground floor. And I thought, it's nice to know that kids in Russia are the same as kids in America. <laughs> Drop paper. Well, that guy's done preaching. We'll sing. <laughs> okay. And then I started watching and it got a little more pieces of paper. And then I started looking down and you could see these pieces of paper being passed forward. And I was sitting there going, that's a little unnerving. And there was a couple of times there it looked like confetti. And I was like, oh, dude. What, somebody just, I mean, these people like, they're tearing up their notes. (laughs) I got done. And when I got done, I got ready to go sit down. And they, they do this. Point me back up there. And all of a sudden, I started looking. This whole front row was deacons, and they had all these notes of people asking questions. But they knew it was inappropriate to ask when the prophet was preaching. And so I write you my question down, and then you take an hour or two hours and answer it. Okay? Why? Because the Bible says I am to keep silent. But I do not have a believer in my family. And you are my brother. Answer my question after the church service. I thought that's fascinating. After I figured out what they were doing. <laughs> it's, it's kind of unhinging when you're, am I missing this text this much? Or are we so far off here? I, I don't know. God wants that order made visible because that is the order that comes out of his nature. 
Okay? Now listen. This is where it gets pointy. All right? I'll give you a heads up now. If you want to leave now, you may want to. Or you may want to pass me up a note. Where this doesn't exist in his church, you have violated his order. You have violated his nature in the terms that he has revealed. Got it? You go hear a woman preacher know that God cannot be on display there. Okay? Now listen. She may even say what it's right. It may be good. But understand this. God's plan, God's nature have been violated. Go home and ask your husband. Okay, if they're willing to learn. You know what? It's obvious by verse 26 that they were speaking up in the service and they were asking questions. They're blurting out questions. They were confronting and there was these confrontations with the prophets. Remember what he said about the prophets? The prophets are to be subject to who? Not to the congregation. To the prophets. God speaking to these men. He's speaking through you. And you know what? I, I, I really want, wonder how many of these really are asking questions. I've seen this. Uh, do you believe that a trichotomous dispensationalist would be prone to Gnosticism? What? Yeah. Next question. There are people who like to verbalize just so that everybody else says, golly, they're smart. There are people who will formulate questions to show off. That's what they do. And I'm sorry, but women are not immune to this. Many don't have a question. They just want to be heard. Is it really a question? Listen, they're messing with the order of the service. God said it'll be orderly. It'll be harmonious. It'll flow. He's not saying that no time, no place is a woman ever to ask a question. That is not what is being said here. Well, that sure is what it sounds like. No, during the worship service, women are to be quiet. But, you know, if you're truly honest with it, it says that if you got a prophet who is preaching and all of a sudden you get a new revelation, tug on his little rope, sit there, and then you stand up and you go. Why? Because each one takes their own time, their own turn for who? The edification of the whole. And if you got a bunch of people running around asking questions, it's like, hey, hey, I disagree completely. Saturday nights, we have little cards we put in the backs of the chairs. And if people have questions during what is being preached, they write it down and they can put it in the offering plate. And I answer them the next week. But when you are in the church service, do you understand that it is an act of worship before God? 
and that the manifestation of the order, the beauty, the harmony, and the peace of God is being manifest in that? So ladies, if you have a question, ask your own husband. If your husband does not have a biblical answer, send him to me. Because let me tell you something, I've shared this with men before. Men, you are the spiritual leaders, and it's non-negotiable. You will stand before God and give an account for the leadership spiritually that you've performed in the realm and the sphere that God has placed you, period. And let me tell you something, if you ain't reading your Bible, you have violated the very nature of God. Your first love has grown cold. Ladies, then go to your fathers. If your father is deceased or your father is a non-believer, go to your brother. If your brother is, a, and I'm talking about your blood brother, if your blood brother is a non-believer, then go to a brother after the worship service. You don't do it in public worship. See, you got a prophet in Corinth is trying to get through a message and everybody wants to argue with him. Dude, I have seen that all over the place. Now listen, some of these yahoos, somebody needs to argue with. But I look at it this way. If the order of the service does not follow God's standard, I ain't staying anyway. I don't need to ask you stupid questions. I'll leave. Yeah, I'll get up in the middle of it and leave. I've done it before. I'm going to pray in tongues. I'm out of here. Why? There's no such thing as a prayer language. That's not of God. God's nature ain't being manifest. If a woman stands up and says she's going to preach, guess what? I'm out of here. I don't care what she says. She may say it right. I don't care. Listen, if they got two or three and they're speaking at the same time in some gibberish, I'm out of here. Two or three at the most, one at a time, and there must be interpretations. If it ain't being done that way, God is not being manifest. If it's a prophet, two or three at most, one at a time, and I know that their prophecy will follow in line of the context of the scriptures. No problem. I don't have a problem with any of that. It's very organized. I see it. Listen, now, I want to tell you something. Paul is kind of strong on this. Okay? I'm thinking that he had sort of a... This is a line in the sand text. Okay, what do I say? Look at verse 36. Okay, now, New American Standard translates it this way. I'm going to try to help you with this. This is kind of confusing at times. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth or has it come to you only? Um, What he's basically writing here is this. Did you write it? Did you write the word of God? That's what he's asking him. Why? Because the context is out of verse 34 as the law also says. Did you write it? Did you write the Bible? Because, see, his mindset, that second phrase there, if you didn't write it, 
then you must obey it. Or you either wrote, you, you're either the one who wrote it or you are required to submit to it. That's what he's saying. I mean, I like that. That's, that's what I call sarcasm. Okay? And, and I, my wife says, you sometimes are sarcastic. And? Did you write it? <laughs> if you turn, the literal phrase here is, if you're not going to obey it, maybe you wrote it. Okay, that's literally how it's written, but if you stick it in there, you sort of, what? <laughs> All right, but that's what he's saying. He's, now listen, we can sit and say, well, he's just ticked off about women. Huh? Man, this is dealing with tongues, interpretation, prophecy, and how you conduct yourself in the body of Christ. And you either wrote this thing or you obey this thing. See, listen, if you didn't write it, then it means it applies to you. We have but one response to this text. Obey it. Listen, you take that text through 11, 12, 13, and 14, and you can see Paul calling a halt halt to a lot of activity. You can see Paul calling a halt to a lot of what we call church today. Why? Because I want it to be edifying. And if I don't do it in the manifestation of Christ, then how does it strengthen you? Well, it's easy. It doesn't strengthen you. Now, look what he says in verse 37, because he's still on this. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, what does it say? He gives the summary. It's, it's like a closing statement for what I've been dealing with since chapter 11. If the gift is legitimate, then they will acknowledge that I speak the word of God. If they acknowledge that I speak the word of God, bring the gift into submission to the principles that I have spoken. Two or three at the most. It needs to be done orderly, one at a time. If it's the gift of languages, it must be interpreted. The prophets are going to be subject to the other prophets. If a, new pro- if a prophet receives a new revelation while one is preaching, then the one who is preaching sets down so the new revelation can be shared. Now, this is an amazing text right here if you really want to think about it. <clears throat> Verse 37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things that I write to you are what? Listen, this is the Apostle Paul saying what I'm writing to you is Scripture. Okay, I know people today who don't believe that Paul wrote scripture. I know I've talked to people today who says if it ain't red letter, then I don't really have to pay that much attention to it. Because that's then mirrors with Jesus' words. No, Paul says here, what I write to you are commandments of who? More red letters. I mean, if you're truly honest, 
A red letter edition should start in the beginning and conclude anyone who adds or takes away from, and it should be all red letters. What he's saying here is so amazing. The sarcasm that you see in verse 36. Would you write the Bible? And then he says, by the way, I am. And then he makes this statement. If anyone does not recognize this, what? He is not recognized. Literally, the word could be ignored. If someone ignores this, you are to ignore them. If somebody's doing it a different way, they are not manifesting the nature, the character, and the standard of God, and they are to be ignored. Verse 39, therefore, therefore goes back to verse chapter 11, verse 1, be an imitator of Christ. Therefore, in light of everything, on the basis of everything I've given you, what? Desire earnestly prophecy. Why? That goes back to chapter 14, verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. Remember I told you the key to chapter 14 was? Edify, edify, edify. And if that don't work, then get my t-shirt that says edify stupid. Okay? And the point gets across sometimes. Don't forbid... The true gifts, he says. But listen, if it is the true gifts, it will be done in the pattern that I have laid out, the instructions that I have laid out, and you will do it in a way that what? Brings glory and honor to God and the peace of God, and it will be tranquil, it will be harmonious, it will be beautiful. And it will not be this deformed, improper, shameful ugliness. Seek to prophesy. Seek to prophesy. But do not forbid to speak in tongues. Verse 40 says, But all things will be done properly in an orderly manner. All things will be done beauty, harmonious. They will all fit together. Let your service manifest God. Pray that God is seen here. The, the church in Russia is moving away from the three sermon services. And the reason is, is that everybody, most of the guys are bivocational. And so they're all kind of studying randomly. And when they get together and they preach three messages, they're disjointed or can be disjointed. And they're saying we, we're losing the flow. So what they're doing is encouraging the church to raise up one man who will preach. And he will give himself solely and wholly to this prayer and the study of the word. And then he preached for one to three hours. And that way it doesn't. Why? Because they're looking at this text and they're saying, we want harmony. We want the flow. Listen, you could, you could talk about Jacob. Let's say somebody got up and preached a message on Jacob wrestling with God. Another guy gets up and teaches that women are supposed to teach godly women. And then we got some guy who goes over here and teaches about the church in Ephesus losing its first love. Well, how do those flow together? All in the Bible. Okay. But they're wanting harmony, order, 
flow. Why? Because he says here, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. See, there's the beauty of the music, the beauty of the message, and it all flows in order to edify that God will be manifest. That's what he's getting at. I pray, I pray that when we come together, God is manifest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you give us these glorious chapters to deal with us coming together as a body of believers, the equipping of the saints, the edifying of your saints, that each will be strengthened to maturity. And in that maturity, you'll be manifest. And the Father, lost people can wander in and say, wow, truly God is here. Father, help us. Father, we have women in this church who are here to help us. Father, let them take their role. Let them take their role with excitement, with zeal, with a longing and desire to walk as you have commanded. But Father, I pray for the men. Father, we are the spiritual leaders. We do not get a a pass on this. And how many women are looking for spiritual counsel and we don't have any? Father, I think about my letter that I just read. How many have lost their first love? How many have fallen into the, the clutter and the confusion and the entanglements of this world and are throwing philosophies and platitudes, pragmatism and silliness? as spiritual problems. Father, help us. Help us to be unified as the body of Christ, one head, many members. Father, help us to rely not on talents, but on the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Father, help us rely on one another even at times leaning full weight. And we may draw to you, knowing that the brothers and sisters who are gathered here are called by your name. Father, and I pray that we each strive to walk in holiness, purity, godliness. And Father, we take our positions that you have designed, we take them with joy, We take them with eagerness. Father, we in this body of people will manifest and glorify you so that all, both saints and ain'ts, all will see you. In Christ's name, amen.